Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, a nightmare on Elm Street. In the year 1984, Big Brother was watching when you were awake, but Freddy's watching when you're asleep. Right, and digital sense are becoming the standard. <laughs> I do love some digital sense. So. Oh, this, this, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Today is a nightmare on Elm Street, the originals, fantastic digital. I, I, well, you know what? I'm, it could be a mixture. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm hearing the uh, DX7, I think, so uh, for synth geeks. But that's near here, there, there. Um, classic 80s slasher arguably the premier 80s slasher though there will be michael myers and jason fans will halloween sweat 78 but whatever it's under contention but for me <laughs> this is this is kind of like slasher ground zero for me so um this is matt this is luke welcome to the sanctuary of horror i mean vhs stories <laughs> would list as sci-fi slash horror so just yeah, 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 they go to the Dream Institute, right? It's that's, our podcast. We can do whatever the fuck we want. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they got the they they, go, they do the Dream Institute with Roger Rabbit. So yeah, there's a science bit. It's science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, coming back, uh, I I had to apologize before we start recording. We 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 just keep calling you in for Halloween, but it's uh, <laughs> Henrik Curto. Thanks for joining us again for another '80s basher. Well, you know, once you've directed more than like five or six horror films, you can't be mad when people hit you up around Halloween. You know, I did that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I th- we're giving you some nice prime rib of 80s cheese. Um, we're, we're on different situations here. So I started watching this one. Well, the first Elm Street, which is actually the second one, taped off of UHF television with lots of edits. <laughs> I watched that for a little while. And then, um, yeah, I started going across the street to Andrew Shears and at nine years old and watching slasher films when I, you know, because my parents wouldn't let me. So we just watched uh, we said we said in one of our podcasts recently, yeah, there are no parents there most of the time. So we watched what we wanted. And uh, this one was quite often on the docket. He had the poster in his room where to tell anyone who came in like the eyes follow you wherever you go in my room freddie's <laughs> eyes <laughs> i too i used to terrorize kids with with nightmare on elm street because i had access to it and most people didn't i had the tapes because i had a sister who was nine years older than me so because i was born in 86 so she was like she was like a teen during the height of freddie's popularity really and then i got to kind of get into it when it was a little bit older but i had all these tapes one through five and i used to watch them constantly and anytime any kid stayed the night at my house i had to pop out nightmare on elm street part one to scare the crap out of them uh and also because i didn't like to watch it by myself because it was so scary so it- <laughs> <laughs> but i remember one time um 
during that opening death scene, that opening scene where Tina gets killed, um, a kid that uh, was staying the night at my house for the first time ran out of my bedroom door and ran through the hallway into the living room and was like trying to get out of the house. Like that, that was how startled he was <laughs> by, the, by the death scene. And it's like, it's, it's on a TV set, man. <laughs> Don't run out of the house. That's what Tina's doing. <laughs> yeah, no, really. So... <laughs> But I just remember him screaming, screaming, and I had to calm him down. But my favorite thing about sharing Freddy as a kid was that they would get really, really scared. And sometimes parents would call my mother and be like, you know, what? And my mom would be like, whatever, then don't have him over. I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> my mom like <laughs> gave no fucks. <laughs> she was just like, whatever. Freddy, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, look, it's it's good, clean fun. I don't know. If you don't like it, that's fine. That's your, that's your deal. So... <laughs> I actually haven't watched these for a while because I, when I lived in America last, I got, what was it, like 10 bucks for everything up to New Nightmare, like on a couple discs. <laughs> and I put them in a DVD. I watched them all. And I put them in a DVD file. And I don't remember which file that was. And it might be in America. <laughs> <laughs> no, I watched a backup copy. But <laughs> Ah, yes, of course. The, but, the backup hey, copy. I owned it on VHS and on DVD. It's a true backup copy in this case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the I had I had the uh, five VHSs and then I had part six on VHS, but it was taped off of satellite television by my aunt Betty, who used to tape movies off of satellite like it was her job, like <laughs> she was being paid a wage. She had a wall of tapes and they all had they all had labels with pencil written on them <laughs> that said, like, you know, Puppet Master four and five Nightmare on Elm Street six Freddy's dead. Like they were all labeled. And you'd come over and just, uh, and she'd be like, take a look at the wall, see if you want something. Cause she wanted you to make room so <laughs> she could tape more stuff. She had one of those giant satellite dishes, you know, that just pulled everything out of the sky back in the nineties. So we would always be scoping out. Like, I wonder what, uh, when Aunt Betty's got what horrors await and you'd be like eight. I don't know if she, I don't, I don't think she watched them because she's like, <laughs> you're like eight years old. It's like, here you go, Ricky, you take, take yourself she's very very from kentucky (laughs) here you go and i take this movie home with like topless women and murder (laughs) (laughs) yeah for me i i I did do that job but it was uh we didn't have cable so we'd go up to my aunt's house in delaware for a week she had hbo and showtime so i'd like i'd I'd get out like the cable guy not the tv guy the cable guy and mark out baby we'd plan the trips you know to the beach and like around what movies i wanted to tape <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool i love that i love that but it was all within a week right the rest of the year i didn't yeah. do that stuff so um luke you're you're new pretty new to the sphere yeah, so when this Kruger. film came out i was negative six years old <laughs> <laughs> so i grew up obviously very aware of nightmare on street and jason and all of this stuff but not really watching any of it my experience of going to my uncle's and watching films my mum didn't want me to watch was all action stuff. Like if I oh, wanted yeah. super gore, I wanted Schwarzenegger destroying 80 people, not Freddy killing six people. So... <laughs> You're really... Schwarzenegger's far more efficient than Freddy yeah. Krueger. I'm sorry. <laughs> if Schwarzenegger wanted to kill these four teens, they'd be dead in the opening credits. Like... <laughs> and they wouldn't show up in the last scene to get killed again. <laughs> no way. No way, Jose. Schwarzenegger. They're gone. <laughs> That's um, La Vista, baby. <laughs> so I think watching this film last night was the first time I've watched a Nightmare on Elm Street film from start to finish. Wow. Yeah. I've I've dressed up as Freddy for Halloween before. 
but I don't think I'd ever seen one of the films all the way through. I mean, well, you know, he's iconic. There's no doubt about it. Um, I have a, a nightmare glove, which is like an, a Freddy Krueger glove that's actually made out of steel and metal, uh, handmade, just like the glove in the movie. <laughs> uh, oh, man. <laughs> you know, I actually cut my birthday cake on my 30th birthday with it. I, <laughs> so they're just cutting the cake. Who wants one? I was like, it might taste funny because I think these are covered in paint, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> And icing's not good for you anyway. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For me, watching it last night, it had been a while, and I think it'd been the first time I watched it since getting into Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, it was like watch. I still love it, but I'm like, this actually, like, the dialogue in this movie is absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> like in a fantastic way. But I'm like, who wrote this? Nobody ever talked like this ever. Well, you know, Wes Craven uh, is an interesting dude. I don't know if you know a whole lot about him, but he he grew up. I, I pardon, I forget exactly what, but he grew up in one of those very. Um, extreme american religious sects like uh maybe it was quakers or something like that so he did not see the first movie he saw he was in college because they weren't allowed to watch movies they were allowed to watch like uh some film strips but not a single feature movie so the first movie he saw when he was like 20 was the wizard of oz and it blew his mind so, and that was while he was in college studying the arts, he sees his first movie and his first thought is, I, uh, I got to get in on this. Like, this is for me. I want to make movies. So his movies all have, there's something about them that's so different. And I think that it has a lot to do with him kind of coming at it from like the opposite of a child's point of view. <laughs> you know, he, he, he. He understood how to like, you know, uh, drive a car and uh, have an adult conversation. And then he started watching movies as to where like watching movies formed my understanding of how to interact with other human beings and how to tell a story. And, and, you know, I mean, I literally I don't know when I didn't have movies around as a as a kid, you know, especially uh, a lot of the time it was just me and my mother. So, you know, the, the videotapes are the best babysitter, the cheapest possible babysitter. You know, she's got work to do, put on a tape. So it, it just kind of blows my mind. I, I read a book about him a couple of years ago about Wes Craven. And uh, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's a, that's a whole other way of seeing things. But it also, then you hear that. And then you think that he's nearly 30, I believe when he does nightmare on Elm street and he's writing, you know, what teenagers would say. So it, it does get a little silly. It does get a little silly. No, like I said, I love it. But yeah, last time I was really just like, you know, just sitting there like, wow, these words coming out of their mouth are, constructed so weird there were one or two yeah definitely exchanges which i noticed but there's a real art to middle-aged men writing young people and not many people can do it so no you're right you're right and uh, i know that he had teen children he had at least one teenage daughter when he was making that or maybe she wasn't quite a teenager maybe she was 12 or so because he claims that she's the reason he cast johnny depp because he was looking at everybody and he was just like, not sure who to go with. And she was like, you got to cast Johnny Depp. And, she, and he was like, really? He's kind of pale and sickly looking, you know? And she was like, oh no, he is beautiful. And she was, uh, you know, the beginning of the Depp fandom, you know, Wes, Wes Craven's daughter. She was right on that curve. So, uh, but, <laughs> but, and, and, and it's interesting too, because, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, very dreamy movie. Uh, you mentioned how it was kind of the slasher movie for you i think that it was 
the first turn in the real evolution of the slasher movie um, where, where you kind of lack of a better term, you, you kind of, you know, opened it up, you know, like you let it dream a little bit more, <laughs> you know, it wasn't just a guy in a mask with a knife and then a guy in a different mask with a different knife, but in a different place, it, it became this whole other deal where it's like, okay, so we're going to kill a bunch of teenagers. Don't you worry. They are going to die, <laughs> but it might not be what you're expecting necessarily. It might be very different. And uh, I think that that was a logical progression because by the end of you know 1988, 1989, slasher movies had been were already so played out, and they only really existed for 13, 12 or thirteen years as a subgenre, and they were already tired. Even Freddy Krueger movies were getting tired by then. <laughs> so it really kind of it really kind of sets it up though. And Freddy is an, an interesting series because. It's the it's in it's in a way the most consistent slasher series, even though it's very inconsistent. <laughs> like, like they're all slickly made. They all have a lot of imagination. They all have a decent amount of money behind them. You know, you watch the Friday the Thirteenth movies, and they they're kind of disparate. They're kind of a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, one one's made two of them are made in New Jersey, then they do one in uh, in in L.A., and then they do one in uh, Mississippi, space. and they did one in Georgia. You know, <laughs> and, and then eventually space. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing with, but with the Freddy movies, you know, you always had Robert England, you always had, you had a few returning characters here and there. So it kind of felt a little bit more like a, like a congruent story. So as, as a kid, I got really into it. I got really into the, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, universe. I was always thinking about it because I was such a nerd. I wrote a, uh, I wrote a Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, sequel. Uh, when I was in school, because we had a free writing assignment, you could write whatever you wanted, uh, as long as you wrote it and you get a grade. And I, so I wrote my ultimate Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, and it had like every single character that didn't die returned in it. Like it was so <laughs> like exactly what you know a twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old boy would would <laughs> fill it with. See, I, and I, I didn't. Yeah, sorry. If you're 16, maybe you'd go with like it's gonna have all the victims return. Whoa, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't edgy enough. I want I wanted like Freddie to have puns. Like that's how that's how bad I I was like trying to find the puns Freddie could say when he killed these kids. So it's like I was like obsessed with the absolute the lowest common denominator of what people love about Freddie. I was like, I was like, where are the puns, man? Gotta come up with some puns. Can I put you on the spot for a death pun? <laughs> How have I killed the person? Um, surrealistically with a with with Mario. Okay, um, let's go to hell. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so I know I can put him on the spot for that shit, and I'll get something. <laughs> Golf clap, one hundred percent. Before we get a little deeper, I guess we will go plot wise then, and Luke will will spew out the plot of this particular caper. Indeed, I will. is pursued through a grungy locale by a creep with a burned face, stripy shirt, dirty hat, and some clawed gloves. Luckily, 
It was all a dream. The next day, she learns that her friend Nancy, along with Nancy's boyfriend Glenn, also had nightmares that night. Afraid to sleep alone, she invites them for a sleepover, which is crashed by Tina's on-off squeeze rod. Tina has another cream about cream. <laughs> has another dream <laughs> about <too>. the creep. <laughs> another cream. Yeah. About the creep who manages to eviscerate her in spooky fashion in the real world. Rod takes the fall for the murder, but he and then Glenn are also killed by the dream creep. Meanwhile, Nancy investigates, learning that she can pull him into the real world and that his identity is Fred Krueger, a child murderer who was killed by neighborhood parents years ago. Nancy manages to defeat him through her psychic fortitude. Or does she? Psychic fortitude is a little odd way to describe it, but uh... <laughs> I also like how it jumps. It jumps very quickly. It's like those two die. Then she discovers she can bring them into the real world. And you're like, oh, OK, well, that's I mean, we skipped about 35 minutes, but it was really just 35 minutes of murder. So yeah. <laughs> you did skip a blood geyser. Or I'm going to call you on that. I mean, I said he died. He died yeah, by he the died. blood geyser. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what the, the next hour of podcast is for, Matt. Yes. <laughs> if I can't mention every scene in the synopsis. Um, let, well, let's get into the actors a bit. Um, I Watching it last night, I was like, what? Heather Langenkamp is like third or fourth on the credits which i thought was weird i mean really she is is? yeah i think john saxon's above her (laughs) oh well that makes sense though i mean he was a name he was a name at the time Uh, um and it was a big deal for him to do that movie uh just because they were kind of a laughing stock in hollywood at the time because every literally every studio turned down nightmare on elm street except for new line so by the, when John Saxon's talking to his LA buddy, he's like, I'm doing this Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, oh, you mean that movie that like everybody at this table said was not good enough to make? <laughs> Have fun. Have a great time. I and he was he like, did. look, I got gambling debts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he's above on the credits. Uh, Robert England, England, England. Sorry, I haven't said his name in a while. Uh, he gets the and credit, which absolutely makes sense in this one in particular. Yes. Because so, I mean, God, he's only on screen for what, five minutes at most? He's also... Uh, it's, it's, it's he not is, much, yeah. He's listed as as Fred Krueger. Oh, he's Fred in, the, in this movie. Yeah, I, I just that was one of the things. Like, oh, it's still just Fred in this one. Well, the second in, one is Freddy's yeah. Revenge, right? That's yeah. where it gets yeah. the name. Well, thing. in the first one, he re- I think he refers to himself as Fred. Yeah, he refers to himself as Freddy, but everybody calls him Fred Krueger other than yeah. him. It's like, because, you know, he's a child murderer. So it's like nothing creepier yeah. than the fact that he's like making himself more fun. You know, come and hang out with Freddie. You know, like I'm your new boyfriend. Yeah, <laughs> remember that part where, where he has the face in the doll in the wall? And it's like, hell, please save me from Freddie. <laughs> there's so much to love about that movie. Yeah, the, the puns don't really start kicking into the sequels, but uh, yeah. Well, I mean, okay. he wisecracks a tiny bit, but not a lot. Not a lot at all. He now, wisecracks like is... just. Oh, through and through Sorry. a horror right yeah i mean he he lets like he wisecracks just enough to make it kind of creepy how much he likes killing yeah 
And that's because that's really what he does when he make when he makes his little comments. You're just like, oh, he really is into this. Like <laughs> he's like, I have an intellect, and this is all fine with me. You know, like, like oh shit, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's where I do find him preferable to Jason or Michael Myers, which you know they're forces of nature, more like, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's kind of a person there, but you know, it's there's no logic where. You, you know, Freddie, I guess technically you could talk him out of this stuff, but you're not going to. No, no, no. <laughs> but he'll be happy to sit and have a chat with you, you know, for a little while. <laughs> as long as, and if he gets bored, he'll just start, you know, adding bitch to it every now and then. Just to, <laughs> to keep, it, keep it going. And then it's all going to end with, I got to practice my slashing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always loved that he laughed so much in the later movies. He was just always laughing. Freddie found everything he did so amusing. <laughs> yeah he's kind of working out more i, I did the, the hobo um stumble really came through watching it this time like it really does look like you know like some homeless guy on the street just starts like uh going after you right <laughs> oh. well, do you know do you know that story about so about where he kind of got the idea for for freddie's look uh, Wes so Craven? I, I have not watched that what is there's like what a never sleep again yeah i haven't actually watched that uh one oh, day it's, but <laughs> it's it's a it's a good watch well he came up with uh west craven came up with the idea because one night when he was home alone with his little brother or older yeah little brother and his parents were out uh they were getting ready for bed and they look out this window and he sees like a bum you know just kind of walking down the street uh down the sidewalk and he's like staring at this bum, like creeped out. He's got like a hat on and a jacket and he's staring at him. And the bum just kind of eventually looks back and sees him. And he's like close. He goes like, oh, my God. And he like go, goes to like hide. He's like, oh, God, that guy saw me. What am I going to do? And he said that when he finally got brave enough to peek back, the bum had walked up to the house closer and was just like looking right back at him. Like he was probably just drunk and wanted to scare a kid because it was funny. <laughs> like, but, but he said that. He said that that was the inspiration was how terrified he was of this just like this bum who was so covered in shadows that he just imagined a million ways he would be gruesome looking if he actually had gotten a look at him. And then he claims that he named him Fred Krueger after a bully he had in school that he named Freddy Krueger after a bully. I don't know if that that one I've only heard in one source. But uh, so Craven's like big on like referencing things from, you know, his weird Quaker you know, childhood and stuff, but apparently it was, it all started with a creepy hobo and and don't some of the best stories in life start that way. No, I was thinking, <laughs> um, actually my story comes from when I was like 23 and I was, uh, I had a roommate who just was like, he was nice to everybody. So he had some shady friends and three in the morning, <laughs> there's a knocking on my window and there's a drunk hobo outside. I said, yeah, my memory's got the hat, right? And he wanted to ride to the worst part of town. So, so what did I do? Gave him the ride. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> what did you guys talk about? You know. I don't even remember. It wasn't that long a drive. Be perfectly honest. We didn't live in the best part of town. <laughs> okay, fair enough. He was but, like, uh, "Hey, can you drive me to another place to be a hobo there?" And you were like, I guess so. uh, "Yeah, oh, okay." <laughs> If, if, if the, well that got him away didn't yeah i mean you know, you know he's not coming back i drove yourself. five miles see <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah yeah I, heather langham to me actually would 
technically seems i mean she feels top billing here even against sure. johnny depp she didn't quite get it that's fine um he, uh, johnny depp of course could see introducing which is fun and make actually quite iconic now but uh <laughs> yeah how how did well first i'll go for for luke how many scream queens are you familiar with um because you're more of the action guy right? yeah yeah i know a couple of them but how did she do for one of your scream queens um she was quite like she wasn't just like a victim for most of it. Oh God, not at all. She so she uh, she took the lead in the film <laughs> for the most part. I almost don't like Tina was more of a screen queen, a uh, scream queen. Scream. Again. <laughs> Again. Put you down your mind, boy. Uh, <laughs> <Tina's green. laughs> no, and, and and if you you know if you think about the expectations established, then Tina totally comes across as the lead until mm. she gets killed she's blonde she's pretty she has the you know the boyfriend like she's just kind of all of the things you would expect because a lot of those uh slasher movies that established the all-american girl you know being the the heroine and then what do they do they just slice and dice her <laughs> yeah i watched it i was definitely thinking oh in the way she looks her haircut everything like yeah I guess they're going for the psycho reference in the janet lay so oh definitely <laughs> definitely well and that's the thing you know Wes craven stuff because of his background everything's very scholarly with him everything's always uh, a, a basic reference or you know an inspiration or, or what have you you know i because he always wore his inspirations on his sleeve because unlike us you know he didn't have anything tattooed on his soul. Like, like I have movie scenes tattooed on my soul because I saw them as a child over and over and over. Like I've watched movies where um, that I've made where I've been like, oh, that's like Terminator 2. Like the way those cuts are. Oh, when I did it, I had no idea. It just looked right because it's in my heart. It's not in my brain. Luke, so that's your arm. He just set you up in eight different oh, ways. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The actual Terminator 2 tattoo. <laughs> No paper will we make for ourselves. The future's not set. <laughs> Terminator 2 is probably my all-time favorite movie uh, ever. So. Same. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I wonder if, um, like, I think it's all a deliberate misdirection, which might be why um, Longcamp's not top billing. Yeah. Because yeah. having not seen the That's film before, point. I fully believe Tina would be the main character. And it, the first, like, 10 minutes of the film is pretty much she's the point of view character. And then it's only after she's bumped off that the point of view switches over to Nancy. So I feel like that's all pretty deliberate. Well, oh. and it depends on how good her lawyer is because billing is negotiated by lawyers. Mm. And that's important to also keep in mind. But I bet none of these kids had good lawyers. So Craven could just do what he wanted with that. Billing. You might be surprised. <laughs> uh, like, uh, like introducing Johnny Depp, that was negotiated by a lawyer. That's fair. That's mm. fair. Yeah, like uh, and 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 Robert England's and Robert England that's negotiated by a lawyer. Um, it's funny because uh, it, it always goes two ways with the lawyers and the credits. It either goes like I want first billing, or it's it's the celebrity uh, doesn't want to be billed first because they only worked a day on the film. So they're like I can only be billed third. I've worked <laughs> I've worked on movies where the celebrity's contract says like you have to bill me third. You can't bill me first or second because I, because it's like you only paid me for one day's work. I don't want I don't want <laughs> you getting that much out of it. So, <laughs> oh, show business, no business. I like no business. I know, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it, it does surprise me. I never. I, I it's been forever since I looked at like the poster um, or anything to see what their their crediting is like. Mm. 
this is another one where I, I never got that shock, I guess, the first time because I watched, like I said, I saw the second one first. Then I probably saw three and four. And then I probably finally saw the first one. I think, uh, yeah, I think it was two, three, four, one. And then five had not come out yet by that point. So because <laughs> that's what you could easily find the videos for, right? Yeah. <laughs> they oh, had yeah. like the 20 new releases of three and four because they came out real close to each other. So yeah i mean they were cranking them out um to from once they got two out successfully then three four five they all came out so incredibly quickly i'm trying to remember what the first time she saw in the theater was because you know you can't get in the theater if you're a kid for especially not for elm street movies (laughs) probably not uh our biggest fail of course is the notorious army of darkness where he bought um tickets for homeward bound and then then tried to switch and then got kicked back into homeward bound (laughs) (laughs) took me a year before i actually saw army of darkness (laughs) i remember uh going to r-rated movies as a kid uh never being that big of a deal because i mean my mother didn't care so so my mother would be like uh would be like i'll go in buy the ticket then just hand it to you and you can go in i don't care i'd be like 12 and then that always worked until freddy versus jason came out they wouldn't let me go in. They were like, no, no, you, you, where's your parent? And I'm like, she's the one who bought the ticket. How do you think she got the ticket? You know, this is like, it's not <laughs> like we bought it on an app. They'd be like, what's an app? You know, like it, it, we, we, she bought a ticket and they're like, ah, she's got to go in with you. So I had to call my mom on her cell phone and be like, you're saying you have to come in with me. <laughs> so my mother had to sit, sat in like the sixth row during Freddy versus Jason, like bored. Oh, she didn't like it then. Okay, so I'll ask, did she like it? <laughs> um, I just don't think she cared at that point. My mother was actually a huge fan of the first movie. She thought they were really scary. And I, I, I remember when Wes Craven's A New Nightmare came out, um, she ran and rented it, and we ordered pizza and watched it together in the living room. So uh, I remember that. Um, so she liked them, but at that point, I think she was just, I think she was like, you know, we're a lot of like, uh, you know, so we're always mad if we're told we have to do something. We only want to do something if we want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> in the uk they're a lot more strict about yeah um, what's well, law yeah so even if your yeah. mom's with you if you're underage so I, I only ever saw one film in the cinema when i wasn't technically old enough and it was troy, <laughs> troy. and i was only one year too young it barely counts i think oh man you better be careful there the statute of limitations probably isn't up on that in the united kingdom you can't go back now baby definitely can't i go back plan now. to but also <laughs> yes that was like 17 years <laughs> uh, no no you know how strict they are out there <laughs> but um what i do remember is renting films i went in with my brother to rent two films and one of them was pg and one of them was 12 they let me have the 12 because i was older than 12 but wouldn't let me have the PG because my parents weren't there. I'm like, but, but 12 is more than PG. Like, <laughs> what if my mum comes? Does she need to bring her mum? Like, <laughs> yeah, it says parental like, guidance uh, suggested. It says parental yeah. guidance, so you need your parents. <laughs> my parents uh, yeah, guided yeah. me to the store through <laughs> their nurture. <laughs> yeah, there's this new movie that came out called, uh, I believe it's, it was just called The Censor. And it's a it's a fictional account of like a uh, a censor in England in the eighties. Okay. Um, super interesting. You probably get a huge kick. I mean, I got a huge kick out of it. You probably get a huge kick out. You should check it out. The yeah, censor. that does sound interesting. Well, there's a whole part where she goes to the video store because she's been like censoring these movies, but she's starting to have nightmares about them. Uh, or no, no, the movies are re- are reflecting her nightmares like she has nightmares and then she watches one of the movies and it is her nightmare and she'd never seen it before so she starts getting obsessed with this director's work so she goes to the video store and is just like um hello 
do you um where do you have like the uncut movies is like bam that's illegal i'm not going to do an irish a british accent to you i promise but uh, <laughs> but always like you know that's illegal and she's like i was told by a friend that you might have it it's so funny i was just like and he like goes to the back and they have all the dub tapes and stuff and i was like <laughs> man that had to be exactly what it was like too because they had because especially during the video nasty era there were so many movies banned but those the people were seeing them there's no way they were oh yeah <laughs> Well, that's where the more fun VHS stores came into play, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But the, the, but the scary thing is, you know, in, in the United States, the now it's the MPA. It's the Motion Picture Association, but it used to be just the of America. Uh, that Those are all guidelines. They're suggestions. If theaters break those suggestions or guidelines, they don't get fined or anything. They just might lose some accreditation. But in the United Kingdom, those ratings are placed by a legislative body. There are mm-hmm. laws, and if you break them, there could be real, like criminal penalties, which is just crazy. Like blows my mind, insane to imagine. Well, yeah, but see, to me, it's it's crazy that it's the other way around. But that's because I grew up in Europe, where yeah, you know, we have laws protecting us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Not just I, from I, films, but you know. Guns. protecting you from bad taste <laughs> we have laws, well just so you know we have laws that protect us from guns too it's illegal to murder someone uh th- but laws don't protect anybody that's the thing <laughs> but but uh, but thank god they had laws to protect from bad taste because in england they never suffer from bad taste not at all you know? <laughs> all the food's good so um oh, yeah. <laughs> i saw that that meme the other day that was bill Byrne. it just said I, after eating for three days in england i now know why gordon ramsay's so fucking angry all the time <laughs> so what, what, what's what's what should i get if i bop on down to the uk uh get savory pastries they're actually all really good okay your sausage rolls and your pasties and stuff so I feel so like that sounds good yeah. for the indian Oh yeah, go just go to another ethnicity food and it'll be good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works in the US too. Yeah. It's like what's good here? Well, there's a few good things, but re- Thai food. Check out the Thai food. <laughs> <laughs> the best British food is Indian food. <laughs> Although to be fair, what we call Indian food is not what they eat in India. It is a British cuisine. <laughs> yeah. Ah, the joys of imperialism. Well, oh yeah. In Japan too, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we got the British. Well, no, there's a Japanese version of curry and there's a British version of curry, which they call Indian. <laughs> Unless you hit somewhere else. But um, we used to go to the Indian restaurant a lot because it was the place that would serve us alcohol. <laughs> that was for the curries? When we're like 16 and we're just getting bottles of wine with our curry. <laughs> <laughs> what's the smallest amount of curry you can sell me? And what's the largest amount of alcohol you can sell me? Those are the <laughs> options I would like. I've definitely had an onion bhaji and two bottles of white wine. Precognitive dreams, like your sensors. Not quite, but I used to have. If I like, the next day at school, I had PE or I had homework or something. 
the way I would remember is I would have a dream about forgetting it. Oh, so, anxiety dream. But yeah, but that's the only way I ever remembered I needed to take something to school would be <laughs> that the night before I dreamed I forgot. <laughs> about a year and a half ago, I had a dream where I met with Luke, Luke and mine's old boss and I had the meeting in the dream, right? So the next day I like, like uh, kind of forgot about because in my memory, the meeting had already happened, but it, it hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely had, I've fallen asleep texting someone dreams that I'd replied and never bothered to message them. That's happened. Oh, I've, many I've, times. many times I've woken up and checked the phone and been like, I guess I didn't send anything. Okay. <laughs> or I guess, or I guess they didn't call me. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, that response that was really witty only made sense in dream logic and is actually gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing beats that it was hilarious in my dream. And then the more you think about it, the more it just, it falls apart immediately. Yeah, especially my Saturday mornings. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, check the phone, maybe check the weather. And then I'll realize, wait a minute, you didn't get up at all. That was the dream phone you just checked. So <laughs> the time on that phone is probably not uh, accurate. <laughs> and the weather is not going to be what you're hoping. You also just missed an opportunity for astral projection. So <laughs> ah, hell. bells, bells and taco shells. Exactly. I'm like, no, no. What you do in that case is you leave the room, right? Just like Tina, hopefully oh, yeah. not out there. Because he's usually not, but <laughs> every now and then he is. Yep, yep, yep. That's right. I, I did have a relatively lucid dream where I, I had some people coming after me, and when I since it was lucid, I was like, went all, all Doctor Strange on them. That was kind of cool. <laughs> I and used I, to. Oh, sorry. Please, please. And I went out my way not to kill them. I just banished them. I don't remember where. I was like, you banished I, them. Yeah, I know it's a dream. But I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna murder in my dream. Don't want to be like Freddy, so I banished them. Oh, I've murdered a lot of people in dreams. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you grow up watching Schwarzenegger and playing video games. Well, yeah. <laughs> I haven't had many like nightmares where it's been something's hunting me. I've definitely had dreams where it's like, oh, these people killed my rabbit. So they're all gonna die. <laughs> That's the John Wick dream. Yeah, basically. Okay, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I used to, when I was a kid, the closest thing to lucid dreams I had was if I had really scary nightmares, I could wake myself up. Like I could literally just be like, nah, nah, nah. And then I just wake up in bed and be like, ah. That's okay. you and Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, like, and I wonder if that, if Nightmare on Elm Street played a part in that, because I was watching those movies from, from so young. I do wonder if, like, that was why I tried to be my own dream master. But I remember, like, waking myself up because dreams were too scary sometimes. Um, I wasn't prone to nightmares. So every now and then would happen. And I never had any of those awesome, I'm awake. No, I'm not. I'm actually asleep. I never had any of those awesome moments. Those were only for the kids in the movies, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> So Roger Rabbit tells us we don't know where dreams come from, right? Which uh, gives us a whole lot of uh, space to work with in a, in a film such as this. So uh, <laughs> where is Freddy? He's in, I mean, I guess they get into that more later movies, but like in like abstract, stupid ways, right? So, well, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's very abstract at first and then it becomes extremely stupid by the end. Because um, yeah. by part six, they introduce the idea that as he's about to die, these three dream demons come to him and make a deal with him, make a bargain with him, uh, you know, that he can live forever in the dream realm as long as he, he brings them souls. So uh, but before that, there's this kind of like I, I love how how everybody gets to put their imprint on it, like because in part three, it gets really Catholic. 
um which which was kind of fun though i mean like it, it kind of reminded me of like a hammer horror movie a little bit you know like the whole concept like the reason freddie is is doing all this is because he was never laid to rest so they have to give him a proper burial you know with the, the holy water and the cross and everything like that i thought that was as a kid that captured my imagination very well you know because it made me think of like frankenstein and dracula and and you know and and all that gothic stuff and then in in nightmare four that's when they really established that his whole deal is he lives in the dream realm and his power comes from the souls of the kids he kills he keeps them inside himself and makes them i guess live forever hearing bad puns you know Yeah, I think they were they all just sat at little typewriters giving him dialogue for the rest yeah, of the Maybe that's what <laughs> you're, you're that's in my has, writing room now, bitch. He has more and more puns <laughs> in each film because he's got more writers <laughs> in his writing room. Exactly. Well, and then in 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 like Freddy versus Jason, they reference that that Freddy's entire which kind of goes back to the first movie, they reference that his entire power comes from the fear. So if everybody forgets his name, then he has no nothing, no power, no, no ability. But if people are like, oh, God, you know, Freddy, it's Freddy killing people, then people start to get scared and then they start having the nightmares and then he gets to, to come to the nightmares. So it's always been kind of murky and definitely been like freeform jazz for a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's why, like, you know, new nightmare. It's like it's it's the actors, right? It's not the characters in that yeah. movie. And, and they basically all created like an, an egregore, which is where everyone gets, you know, like everyone believes in something so strongly it becomes a real thing. <laughs> yeah. And this idea that like Freddie isn't really even Freddie. He's just um, a, a, a part of humanity that has existed in many, many different ways throughout history in basically a score, a story that scares people. And Freddie's just a new modern equivalent. And, uh, but he's become so powerful because of mass media, basically. So it's like, as to where, you know, it used to be the big, bad stories were, you know, spread among towns, among tribes, among maybe countries. Now it's like Freddie is international everywhere you go. People know who he is and it's too much power. And then when they stop making the movies that it decides it doesn't need movies anymore, then it's just going to start killing people in real life. (laughs) I kind of like that. In this first film, Freddy himself is not a big character. It's more no. just the idea of nightmares are what's scary. Yeah, well, it's very, it's more of that, a high concept horror. Oh, yeah. And, and the idea that parents do not listen to their children. I mean, that's a really like a massive part of it. Like the, they keep telling their parents, like, what's wrong? And their parents' response is, no, you just need to get some sleep. It's the worst possible thing you could do is just, <laughs> just need to get some sleep. Well, technically she does. The thing with Nancy is she's correct, but she also is. She, she, when they're like, you're, you've gone nuts, she, she has gone nuts. Oh, I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, it's not like, it's, you know, like I, when you're a teenager, you're like watching Nancy. Yeah, yeah, she's she's strong. She's doing it. When you watch it now, you're like, she actually is nuts. And, you know, oh, yeah. like it makes sense she is at this point, you know, so she's just not no. wrong. Yeah, being no, correct doesn't mean you're not nuts. <laughs> <laughs> But the, and there are also a lot of things that you notice the more you watch the movie. Like, I mean, it, they're not super subtle about it, but Nancy's mom is clearly an alcoholic. I mean, mm. it's very, very clear that she is drinking herself into a stupor. But the other thing you keep in mind, dad doesn't live there. Mm-hmm. Right. Dad <laughs> never, never comes into the house. And if you look, <laughs> and if you look really closely, um, you can see that he's sleeping in his office. His his couch is like made up like a little bed. In, in the chair station. About that. 
it, it's 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 subtle it's very subtle but it's very clear that he's just leaned into his job fully and that's it which is which plays into the idea though that like you know what what happens when your parents are so busy with their own bullshit they're so busy with their friggin' divorce they're so busy with their friggin' drinking problem they're so busy with their job or whatever that they're not listening to when you're saying like this guy is going to kill me in my dreams and they're like okay sweetie just, just go to sleep, sleep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're meant to be your your caregivers they're meant to be your protection um also it kind of falls into a biblical territory because you know the whole the sins of the father will be uh, uh delivered upon the children i mean that's that's freddy krueger man the parents yeah. torched him alive and he was like i'm gonna get your kids and that's how i'm gonna get you back so and and it says a lot about suburban life too and that's something that's consistent throughout a lot of the movies too, is that suburb, you know, the, the suburban board family, which I, which I find really fascinating because uh, uh, I, I joined suburbia late in life. My, my mother and I, like my mother's goal was to get us to suburbia. We were living in the ghetto. She was like, we got to get to suburbia. So when I got to suburbia, I was like, wow, yeah, a lot of bored white people doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, like that was the first thought, you know? So, but they, and that's something they play up a lot, especially when you watch like Nightmare on Elm Street three, uh, the Kristen character, she's, uh, you know, from a upper class family, very rich, but the money can't help, you know, they end up having to send her away. The, the money doesn't help. The money can't protect you in your dreams, but the parents think, you know, I'm doing everything I can. No, you're not. <laughs> Why don't you just listen, take what your children say at face value one time and you might be able to help them. No, sir. No time for that. We got country clubs. We got social events to visit. You know, there's a lot of that in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, like an immense amount. And it starts in the first one. Um, everybody seems too busy. They're, they're never too busy to punish the teenagers, but they're always too busy to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And that's like a major element of that, of the, of the film. Like, it's like the only way you can get the attention of any parents in that movie is to do something horribly wrong or die. Then all of a sudden your parents are there crying and stuff. <laughs> Well, um, we never even see Rod's parents till he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, I get the vibe he didn't have a good home life. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like, that's clearly the intention. But then it's like, yeah. oh, but suddenly they are there and caring when he's dead. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. And and so I, I think that's something that I honestly I'm thinking about a lot more now that we're talking about. It. I hadn't thought a ton about that. But yeah, the parents really don't care until it's life or death. And then only if they're right, you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like see i told you hanging out with that rod guy he was a bad character and look he killed his girlfriend's like he didn't kill his girlfriend it's like yeah 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 i'm pretty sure that i'm right and that's why i'm here you know <laughs> but and, you, and that's can a still, you can kind of see the point of view of like oh sure am i gonna believe that a, a ghost dream man killed this girl or that this guy who was in the room with her killed her? <laughs> like... oh no i i absolutely <laughs> i absolutely agree um but from the perspective of because the main characters uh regardless of the credit block crediting john saxon (laughs) first the the main characters are the teenagers Hmm. and the idea not only that like your parents can't protect you but that maybe your parents are incompetent but they're your caregivers they're the people who literally made you safe your whole life and now all of a sudden they just are ineffectual they can't do anything for you that's scary huge part of the teenage experience is realizing oh adults aren't just they don't automatically know what they're doing yeah. They're just as stupid as I am. <laughs> no, you're totally right. Absolutely. I, there's many cases where you know my daughter's 12 now, and there's a plenty of cases where I'm like, eh, she probably actually knows what she's doing better than I'm going to in this case. So <laughs> I'm gonna follow her lead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I often say one of the reasons I think the reason I don't respect authority is because very young I realized my teachers were not smart. Uh, I was in a math <laughs> lesson in elementary school. My teacher said, uh, if you multiply uh, 10 by zero, you get zero. If you multiply zero by 10, you get 10 because there's 10 of something. <laughs> <laughs> I just sat there like, oh, I don't oh. have to listen to what you say. Did you pass the class? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's elementary school. It's very easy. <laughs> Man, I wish I had an inciting incident. I was just a little shit immediately. I was just like, yeah, who I mean, cares I, what this person's saying? I think I was a little shit immediately, and I retroactively justified it to myself with that incident. Oh, <laughs> um, you know, now that because now that we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street one, which was such a pivotal movie for for me, you know, watching as a child and watching in my teen years, that might have uh, really played into my massive distrust of authority. Um, massive distrust <laughs> when i was like 15 and a half i was like counting down the days i was like oh man six more months till i can drop out legally don't ever have to show up here again peace out motherfuckers you know <laughs> i didn't go that hardcore but yeah i am singer thing yeah, maybe these movies uh sculpted that for me as well i don't know <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. in a positive way because like me and matt both work with kids Mm-hmm. And I do try to remember that feeling and listen to what kids say. Oh, sure. And you can definitely, I can tell like, oh, you're just misbehaving because you think that's the way you'll get my attention and stuff like that. And I try to be aware of these things because so many adults when I was a kid were not aware yeah. of that I oh, was a, a human being with my own thoughts. Well, that's not really what school's for. No, <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, and, and I don't want it to sound negative either. I'm like the best decision I ever made personally was dropping out of high school for me personally. It was the best decision I ever made. I don't believe that that's the best decision for every human being, but I'm really glad that I made that decision. I'm really glad that I developed such a deep distrust of authority when the only reason to listen to them is because I said, so it's like, well, you're worthless to me. Uh, like that was my attitude like when I was 15 and I wasn't even a kid who got in trouble. I would like sit quietly and do my work. But then if the teacher got it, told me I had to do something that didn't make sense, I was like, no. And then I'd be in trouble. Actually. Yeah. I'm now remembering an example of me being a little shit, which I think is before the zero thing where my teacher had written, I'd done some question and my teacher had written my homework. You have to da, 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 da. like, Oh, you have to show you're working. And I'd written underneath. I don't have to, you want me to. <laughs> she was not happy with but i stand by that i was correct in that yeah the, the the first time i got in like serious trouble was in middle was it middle school it might have been middle school or was the end of elementary school my mother got called because i was in gym class and i decided to just like not run like or play the game i was just kind of standing there and the teacher was like come on you gotta go you gotta try to win try to win and i was like why <laughs> he was like he was like because you want to win. And I was like, what do I get if I win? And he's like, well, then you can say you won. And I was like, I can say that now. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, what a little shit. <laughs> no, I, love- I was perfectly fine until they spoke to me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I love when, uh, you know, we'll do a game in class and after class, when the kids will run up to the board and just start adding points to their thing. I'm like, the game's over. <laughs> <laughs> You could add as much as you want. You didn't win. <laughs> Maybe to you it is. Yeah. 
This is the real quiz. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I, I think that's a, the, a big beauty, beautiful thing about this movie in particular, about the first one in particular, is, is that it is a middle-aged man really trying to capture that sense of disenfranchisement that you, you get when you're uh, in that awkward age where you're not quite an adult. You know, you're still treated like a child, even though you might have like nearly the body of an adult, you, but you don't have the experience to get by and you're still relying on these people, but you're also realizing they're just people. So uh, honestly, that makes it, I think I could see why it became kind of timeless and so scary. Well, and also you would, um, the stuff you were saying earlier about Wes Craven's background, which I hadn't really heard before, uh, it makes a lot of sense that he, he probably never got to explore these feelings when yeah. he was that age. Like if he didn't have films and media and stuff, and I'm sure none of the adults would, would talk to him about something like that. So he probably oh, yeah. did have a lot of feelings to work out about that period of his life. So, And the, the biggest, from what I had read, the biggest experience, uh, the biggest thing in his family was they're, they're really big on education. So, so that was the way it was like, oh, if you want to know about the world, go to college. You know, if you want to know about the world, study, study really hard so you can go to a good college. And because uh, he was a college professor before he became a filmmaker. Huh. Um, in fact, he, he would, on the weekends, he would go work on any movie set because he was down in i think jersey in new jersey he would work in any like movie set he could get on which was almost exclusively pornos he was constantly <laughs> which which is so fascinating knowing his background and and how stuffy his background was but he was like constantly on the set of these like grindhouse new york pornos yeah i'm sure he stuffed and, a few backgrounds there <laughs> well I, probably not because he was so notorious <laughs> notoriously like you know uh you know i don't i don't have a joke uh <laughs> <laughs> but, but but the first film he directed was actually a porno movie and it didn't come out until years after um and i'm trying to remember the name of it i'm trying to see if i can pull it up um it was called oh do i risk a... typing west craven porno into you <laughs> you'll find it it's called it's called angela the fireworks woman that sounds but good. what's but what's crazy, dude, is if you watch it, you can totally tell that he was one that this guy was one day going to make Nightmare on Elm Street. Like there were scenes that were very similar in the like dreamy parts. And it's not a great movie by any stretch. But the other thing is, if you're if you ever it, like when I first put it on to watch it, because I was like, did Craven really make this? The first thing you see is these, this uh, this character that kind of like bookends the movies like this mysterious fellow. It's Wes Craven. It just is him. So he's in the movie in a, you know, in a non-action role, um, but he's in the movie. So you're like, oh, okay, I guess he, you can't argue with that. He was there because <laughs> well, I mean, there the he is. is. Can you give us the dramatic reading? The sexual Ooh. exploits of a girl in love with her brother who decides to join the priesthood. So that sounds like the porno West Craven would make. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for real. <laughs> so what orifice do these fireworks come out of? Ah, well, you'll have to watch to find out. I'm not one for spoilers. <laughs> but, you know, so he makes that movie and that's what leads him to making Last House on the Left, because at that time, these like drive in horror guys and these New York City porno guys were they all were working together a lot, sharing talent and camera operators and stuff like that. Because you got to remember that in this era, I mean, if you want to make a porno movie, you had to have grips and gaffers and real camera people you had to have at least some Absolutely. degree of real lighting 
uh, uh, lots of lube, but uh, but yet everything just looked filthy all the time. No soap, lots of lube. You know, that was the 1970s. <laughs> was the 1970s methodology. Um, both kinds of grips. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, you have your key grip and then you have your key grip. So, uh, <laughs> but but back then, I mean, it wasn't uncommon that, you know, these guys, the, the, the crew people would be working on a porno for a week and then they'd go and work on some like low budget martial arts movie for a week and then they'd be back on a porno set because they were just didn't need to be working and it was the same way with the directors and stuff so that was what led him to get last house on the left finance was his work in porno helped him meet some people who financed movies um but i i do recommend you know if you know if your sensibilities are oh you know fine with it i highly recommend watching angelo the fireworks one just to see create like the first time craven told a story on camera because it's really interesting. It's not well, a terrible for research purposes. Yeah. <laughs> they literally yeah, course, don't course, make movies course, like that anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they don't. Um, yeah, the plot synopsis now is they walk into a room and fuck. <laughs> <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Who can afford the walking? Let's get rid of the walking, guys. Just, <laughs> they've just always been in this room. And now they're fucking. They've always the been end. in this room and they always will be. <laughs> They'll be in the room in all of our hearts. You know? <laughs> I think that's what happens in Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> in um, a black uh, timeless void, she opens her black timeless void. <laughs> well. effects of it here i suppose oh yeah these yeah, are yeah. notable effects so yes, you know definitely. some wonky but always creative <laughs> yeah there was every like even if you can see like okay that's a model and da 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 it was all really outlandish and bizarre and you're just thinking wow how did they come up with this in 1985 and how did they think they were going to be able to pull this off but they did well, and, and, and the thing, the one thing about Nightmare on Elm Street, like uh, a few, a few years ago, I went to a drive-in movie where they show a drive-in uh, theater where they showed Nightmare on Elm Street, they showed Halloween and they showed Friday the 13th. Uh, mm-hmm. It was an awesome triple feature. But the one thing I noticed watching it was how, um, how inexpensive Friday the 13th clearly was in comparison to the other two and how, ex- and, and it was a big reminder of how expensive Nightmare on Elm Street was for being a B movie. They dropped over a million dollars into it. Mm. So they did get to do some really inventive things. Of course, I think that the greatest achievement was using the room from break in two. Uh, <laughs> so, so the room, the room where uh, Tina is getting pulled up the wall. You know, yeah. as she's getting pulled up the wall, they had a room that was perfectly balanced and grips could push the, the sides and it would tw- it would twist that that room was developed for I think it was either break in or break into the dancing movies. Uh, it was designed so that a guy could dance up the wall and walk up onto the ceiling and dance on the ceiling. So they would. <laughs> so that was literally what it was designed and built for. And then they repurposed it for Nightmare on Elm Street. 
And so they used that to do the Tina effect. And then they also used it to create the blood fountain. Mm-hmm. Um, so the room was just upside down and they just let the blood have, let a rip. Um, but my, my favorite story about the crazy room is that um, the actress playing Tina, Amanda Weiss, she was, um, she was, you know, they, they shoot take after take after take. And the way that you can, that you do that effect is the camera guy is, is he is bolted down in the corner of wherever he's filming from because he has to stay with the room. So when the room turns, you don't notice any change. Same with the lights. The lights all have to be bolted in place. So they follow the room as it spins. And during one of the takes, she was laying on the, you know, on the floor, but it's the ceiling of this room. And when they yelled cut, they said like, okay, we're going to take 15. If anybody needs, you know, get a drink of water, you know, or get a little something to eat. And Amanda Weiss was like, I can't get up. And they were like, what's wrong? And she's like, I can't, I can't get up because I'll fall. And they're like, no, no, you won't. And she was like, I don't know what to do. And Wes Craven, I guess, poked his head through the window and went, hey, 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 look at me. Look at me. Okay. See, I'm standing on the floor. (laughs) Okay. Now, now see where my legs are. Look, uh, your legs are going to be right there. So just get up. And he just like helped her up out of the set. And she walked out. She was like, I just, I just became like, I was in there so long. And he was like, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's disorienting. It's like super, super disorienting. And when you watch the scene where she gets pulled up the wall, if you watch Rod, the, the, the guy who's standing in the corner going like, Tina, Tina, you can see his hair is like, is, is gelled in place, like really hard. And you can see him kind of like, cause he's being like slowly turned upside down. Yeah. I was wondering if he was green screened in or if he was in the room, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, at that time, uh, now maybe not even six years later, green sc- or matting him and green screening him would have probably been easier. But at that time, it was much easier to just uh, have him sit on the same bolted thing that the <laughs> camera guy was on. Now, I would not want to be the camera guy, though. I, I like it's just like, don't worry, we're just going to slowly turn you upside down. Just keep looking through the lens. You'll yeah, just you'll think be that looking you're destroying you physics. Doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, last year, I sort of had my, I guess, my analogy to that. I, I was in, you know, I went to a hospital. I just got like surgery and like, mouth right so the hospital bed was like up at like at least a 45 degree angle if not like a little higher you know and i remember because i'd be <laughs> taking a nap or i had my eyes closed and the doctors would come in and look through the window when i opened my eyes it was always like they're coming in from the ceiling oh yeah first what the hell's happening when i was a kid i used to stare at the night sky until i got so disoriented i didn't really like i would get confused and it used to scare me because i used to imagine for example like what if i just fell yeah, if, if you're in a, a big enough field and just looking at the sky, yeah. and then it, eventually it stops feeling like the earth is down and the sky starts feeling like down and then you're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of the effects in this movie, I guess one of the reasons I like them, they make me more than say Halloween or Friday the 13th. They feel like the kind of things you'd see in like a seaside resort dark ride haunted house okay. like not not okay. disneyland level not haunted mansion <laughs> level but uh if, if anyone's been there i'm specifically thinking uh rehoboth beach delaware ocean city maryland where they just have these like these dark rides that have been there for 50 god probably 70 years at this point just like very creative very weird effects you know no and and, and they're way out there um i know that they the way they designed freddy krueger's makeup was on a slice of cheese pizza that makes sense i mean it does when you think about it but yeah that they said that he just kind of sat there with a knife at the fork and just kind of moved the cheese around and was like i think this is the way he should look (laughs) so he literally looks cheesy okay (laughs) oh you know you know you know um i I think it was this when when the standard freddie makeup is not in this movie that doesn't appear till the second or the third i think 
Um, by the third one, it started to become pretty standard. By the fourth, fifth, and sixth ones, it was basically a one-piece thing they glued on, and it looks pretty silly. Uh, <laughs> it still works. He's still Freddy, but it looks a bit silly. So this one, they were still gluing like a million pieces onto his face. But with, with every movie, they would kind of develop it a little bit more. Um, actually, one interesting thing, um, Nightmare 3, his makeup like changes from shot to shot sometimes. <laughs> so does his voice like there there are a couple of scenes where it sounds like they just forgot to deepen his voice like he just is robert england going ah you know <laughs> bitch uh <laughs> so the whole time <laughs> i know right well, well but then like the the further the movies go the less they uh, alter his voice too the more they just let him be robert england you know but in three, there's like a lot of really oddly uneven things. I know that movie was insanely rushed considering how big it was um, that they were running like three units at once sometimes trying to get the uh, to get the day's shoot. And they went incredibly over budget, incredibly over time. And the only reason no one got in trouble was because the movie was insanely successful. So then everybody forgets uh, very quickly. <laughs> oh, I did my Seisai Resort tangent, didn't get to my actual point, which was uh, I wanted, <laughs> wanted to get to the, the the mom's death scene, which is totally bizarre. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where she gets pulled through the thing. I mean, I appreciate that that's a shocker. You know, like you're not, you don't see that coming. It <laughs> is a little silly, but it also feeds into a nightmare logic thing that I can appreciate. There are a few like nightmare logic things I really like in the film, like uh, the the stairs that turn into goop to make it harder yeah. for her to run away. That stuck with me forever. I would always think about that. You know, is it busy? Like, apparently there's a big debate. Some people claim it was cream of wheat, but the effects guy says it was bizquick with just half as much water as you're supposed to put in it. Um, <laughs> so. okay, yeah, I, I, I heard that as well. That's why I keep bringing up cream. <laughs> <laughs> Now it all makes sense. We're getting somewhere, folks. Now, the one for me was when she's in the bath and then suddenly it's super deep. Oh, yeah, I love that. If, if you ever have that feeling of like falling asleep in the bath or slipping in the bath, you also, oh my God, I'm in water. Oh, it's just a bathtub. It's like a foot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and the whole, you know, uh, again, like uh, the parents, because her mom warns her, like, don't fall asleep, you know, in the tub. You could drown. Cares about that doesn't care about like mom someone is trying to kill me <laughs> yeah but like, fr from the from the dream world is a bit of an ask i mean yeah. well I, but she brought his hat through <laughs> in the sleep study i mean I, honestly if we want to just apply logic once tina is killed <laughs> like even if rod killed her it wasn't going to be in that way that's insane no 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 yeah. uh, well, and then they, and then I remember because she gets, you know, slit the four slices on her chest and then they find him. He has like a little friggin' pocket knife that like every teenager would friggin' have <laughs> like this must be the murder weapon. <laughs> they, but then that's I mean, I think that it's very clear that they want to pin it on Rod because he's poor and he has a troubled he has a troubled history. So they're just like, well, of course he killed his girlfriend. Like, why wouldn't he? Let's get him in prison where he belongs. I feel like that's the attitude of the adults in the movie because they're kind of combative, you know, with the young people. Um, I mean, remember when, when Rod, uh, like is telling, um, Nancy what happened, uh, literally he go, he runs for it and Nancy's dad is about to shoot him and she steps in front of the gun and goes, no, like he was her dad. Saxon was just going to smoke his ass. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's got gambling bills to pay. <laughs> 
so I, <laughs> woo. Uh, so I mean, that's it. Well, and 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 I wanted to mention um, because I'm I, I love the trivia behind Nightmare on Elm Street. That's one of the reasons I was thrilled when you were like, "What about Nightmare on Elm Street?" I was like, "Yep, I know a lot about it." I wanted to mention uh, there was a news story that inspired Craven to come up with the idea of dreams killing you. And apparently it was in, uh, there was this incident in Laos in Vietnam and uh, like Cambodia or somewhere like that, where, um, kids were, were basically saying that like young people, teenagers were saying like, I'm going to die if I go to sleep. And they were like refusing to go to sleep and they were trying to keep themselves awake. And inevitably it wasn't a ton of kids, but the kids who, who suffered from it, they all died, um, in their sleep. And the story that Craven had heard was about one of the kids in, I think it was, I think it was Laos, um, had been, you know, telling his parents, like, I can't sleep. I'm afraid if I sleep, I'll die. And they were like, you're being ridiculous. You got to get some sleep because you have to sleep or you'll go crazy. So he started, you know, going to sleep, but he would tell them like, I can't, I, you know, I'm having trouble sleeping and they'd be like, well, you know, try whatever. Well, then eventually he told, he admitted to them, like, I just can't sleep. I know I'll die if I go to sleep. And they were like, that doesn't make any sense. So then he falls asleep on the couch his parents pick him up and set him in the bed and they, and they're like, thank goodness that's over. Like now he'll, he'll get a night's sleep. And then a few hours later, they hear screaming. And by the time they get to the room, he's dead in his bed. He had been screaming and he was dead in his bed. That was part of the inspiration, but the big inspiration that, that hit Craven hard was that when the parents were like looking through the room, trying to just figure out if there was anything going on, like if he had been taking drugs or anything like that, they found a, a little hidden extension cord under like a, like a, rug that went into the closet and hit a little Mr. Coffee. So this kid had been secretly not sleeping for days upon days and his parents didn't even know. So he was like, the second they went to sleep, he was just chugging coffee all night, trying not to get to die in his sleep. And, and Craven said that that image, he like the second he heard that he was like, that's like, that's a movie. Like that's a movie. Like the, the, the kids like sneaking coffee at night and, and living this other life because his parents don't believe him. And I, and, but it does sound, it does sound cockamamie, the idea, you know, oh, if I go to sleep, I'm going to die. It does sound like kind of a, you know, an anxiety thing, which is what they say in the later nightmare movies. They say like, oh, this is just, you know, anxiety brought on by, uh, what was it in part three? They said like latent sexuality. <laughs> Kincaid goes great. Now it's my dick that wants to kill me. <laughs> so, but, but I remember when I heard that story, I was like, Wow. Uh, apparently it was uh it was in the it was in like the LA Times or something they did like a bunch of stories about these uh these people they might have even been they they might have even been like Laotian and Cambodian immigrants it's been a while since i read about it so um but they were definitely like from asia and something weird was going on but yeah just like that now when you watch you know Nightmare on Elm Street you see like Nancy has her own Mr. Coffee in her bedroom and she's <laughs> downing it uh and taking nodos like their chiclets and um one of my, the only thing I loved about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, by the way, is there's a part where they're like, we can't go to sleep. And he goes, and she, uh, one of them goes like, well, we should do meth. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 we should do meth. And he's like, where do we get meth? And neither of them know where they could get meth. So they never get, they never get any meth. <laughs> I thought that was so, so funny because we used to joke, you know, when you get a little older, when crystal meth became a, a thing. We used to joke, we'd be like, oh, well, you could be Freddy, just become a meth head. You never sleep, your house is always clean. It's, you know, it's perfect. And, <laughs> but I just love that these like two white bread kids are like, yeah, let's get some meth. Where do you get meth? I, I don't know. 
They're not Midwest enough, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's supposed to take place in Ohio, so they should. Well, you know, uh, they might be able to find it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll phrase the question to Luke first, how this movie holds up since it's your first time you're, you're watching it from a... Um, so, like I said, as a high-concept horror idea, just like, what if when you had a nightmare and your mother said it would be okay, she was wrong? <laughs> still works. Like, that concept is still good. Um, I mean, I wasn't scared watching it as a 31-year-old man watching it for the first time in 2021. But I could see how it was scary and how it was groundbreaking. Um, but I think part of my problem is because I'm so aware of the pop culture character who is Freddy. I'm watching this film, and even though he's not being that wacky in this one, I'm still thinking like, oh, here's Freddy. What's he going to do? Who's he going to kill? <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I think, as my understanding is, the sequels lean into that a bit harder. So yeah, I'm, they, I'm yeah, already in the place of like, I'm and... kind of rooting for Freddy more than these kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I am um, like trying to step out of that and just watching the film, this one still does hold up as a very good horror movie. Um, like I said, I can't speak to how much the others get into camp and slasher and nonsense, but this one alone, just as it, the concept is strong, it's delivered pretty well, apart from some awful dialogue here and there. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I think for anyone in my position who, just, who hadn't seen it before, if you've got any interest in horror, definitely check it out. Um, and it, it does hold up still as a great film. It's just, if you're like, oh, I want something to scare me tonight. I mean, my, my generation is just too desensitized. <laughs> you're talking about having to go and tape this and that off the internet. When I was 12, I could watch the most hardcore porn imaginable anytime my parents left the house. <laughs> like, there is nothing I couldn't see if I wanted to see it. I think before I was 15, I'd seen multiple real deaths on video. So well, that's yeah. like a rite of passage thing. Yeah, yeah. To 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 watch that stuff, I I think you know with Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, you make a good point. I think that you know if you if you were a little younger, even having like knowledge of the pop culture version of Freddy, I think it might have gotten you a little bit more. Because uh, I didn't see Nightmare on Elm Street one first. I saw probably part three first. I, I don't remember for sure, but I know I didn't see first one first. So it was a lot like I saw Terminator two first, mm. and I remember seeing Terminator one as like a seven or eight year old and going because that's a freaking horror movie i mean terminator yeah. <laughs> one is a horror movie and i feel like that's and i had the like the almost exact same experience with nightmare on elm street i was like oh man this is kind of scary and kind of fun and then i watched the first one and i'm like ah fuck <laughs> <laughs> so and i still i still find it uh to be scary um but I, I, honestly like as we talked about i haven't sat down and just thought about nightmare on elm street just that's the only thing I'm thinking about right now in a while. And I'm like, wow. And especially since I read that Wes Craven book, which I highly recommend you check out um, the titles escaping. But if you literally search Wes Craven book, it's like the one book written entirely about Wes Craven. Can't recommend it enough. There's an audible book of it. That's I listened to it while I was on road trips a few years back. It, it gives a really interesting look into his career. And Wes Craven did something that 
really no other filmmaker did, which is he reinvented a genre, the genre of horror twice. You know, George Romero reinvented the genre once and he's a legend. John Carpenter reinvented the genre once he's a legend. But then you get you get a uh, Wes Craven. He reinvents the genre with Nightmare on Elm Street. And then he reinvents the genre with Scream. He did it twice in a lifetime. Unheard of, incredibly well-earned. And a lot of that comes from his oddly scholarly attitude towards why things should be scary or why they should bother you or what society, you know, says about things. And it's funny being, you know, the least scholarly human being on earth is probably me. And I, I can appreciate his, you know, uh, you know, calm and tested attitude towards like, why does this scare us? Why does this make us uncomfortable? Why does this freak us out? So I still think that the movie's scary. I, 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 but the thing that's always blown my mind is when I show it to people who've never seen it before, they think it's scary. I had a girlfriend scream watching Nightmare on Elm Street, like scream out loud. Like, sc- I mean, like at the top of her fucking lungs. <laughs> Can you remember was, what, what bit it was that got her? It was, um, it was during, it was during Tina's death. It was, it was when she started floating for a second. Like after she'd been slashing, she started floating like that. She's went, ah, like at the top of her lungs. And I was like, I thought she was, I thought she was screaming to scare me. Like, like as a joke, but no, she was just like, it freaked her out. She said that, um, afterward, I, I was like, why did that get you so bad? She said that she'd had a nightmare, like super like that once. Um, and she just, and as the scene was unfolding, it was reminding her of the nightmare, but she was like, well, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be my nightmare. It's going to be. Di-. And then it just was exactly like her old nightmare and that she had when she was a child. So she just let out a <laughs> like blood curdling scream. I, I got that a few weeks ago. Actually, my, my daughter finally was like, I want to watch some horror movies. So we had Sunday family viewings of the shining and alien. <laughs> 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 and um, when, um, Oh God, what, what is, what is the, well, what, uh, what's his name in the shining? It gets a uh, taste in the back. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I want to say groundskeeper. He's got the best name. He's got the best name ever, and I can't remember it. Scatman Carruthers is his real name. Thank you. There we go. Scatman's good enough. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, when the moment when Jack Nicholson gets him in the back, um, my wife just she's like at doing the dishes and just let out the best scream. And at the exact same (laughs) moment, my daughter just started giggling. (laughs) She thought it was funny as hell. So oh man, (laughs) pretty fun. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So yeah, for Henrik and me, it's just like I think both of us. This movie is just too far in our DNA to even like properly like judge it anymore. You know, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I've said to Luke a lot. I'm I'm really not a horror fan. I mean, I'm when it's a sci-fi sanctuary, I'm a sci-fi guy. But uh, I I do hold a special spot for um, the Elm Street movies because I mean, well, they. I guess it's more surreal than science fiction, but it's kind of the same flavor. Yeah, well, they- yeah, they're chock full of fantasy. Now you compare it to slashers, but this isn't just like you were saying earlier, a guy with knife stalks teens. Right. Like this is more of a creepy supernatural ghost story kind of horror, which is much more my jam. Right. Like something like a Halloween or a Jason. Yeah, it's tense and it can make you jump, but it doesn't scare me <laughs> in the way that like something more supernatural can. Yeah, I mean, I, I think especially these days, uh, existential dread is a better scare than a uh, jump scare, right? Yeah. Oh, the jump scare <laughs> in this one's fantastic for because there's like a full ten seconds where you know the jump scare is coming, and then it, it just going. I don't think they altered his voice for that. Rah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would sound like when they did not alter it. Oh, that's great. 
<laughs> like they probably should have. There's one in the first one they probably missed. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> um, so Henrik, I guess I guess we're pulling in the ship. So what's what's going on with you in uh movie land and so forth? And well, you, you know, got mo- your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, movie land is slowly but surely reopening. You know, um, I shot a Western earlier this year um, that is just about uh, ready to be handed over to the distributor. And we're getting ready to shoot uh, our annual Halloween short, um, which we had to skip last year. So this year we'll be doing a Halloween short and hopefully shooting um, some more scary features in the very near future it's just kind of touch and go we just kind of wait and see kind of deal right now but uh and in the podcast land we just celebrated our 100th episode of weekly spooky my weekly uh, scary story podcast and now we're getting ready for october season which is our busy season when lots of new listeners kind of come in because they want scary stuff and um for the entire month of october on weekly spooky every episode is about or revolving around Halloween. So it like extra fall flavor, you know, you can, you can smell the pumpkin spice and taste the candy corn. So uh, if anybody wants to check that out, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can go to week, you search weekly spooky or go to weekly spooky.com. Do you have a good Halloween trivia question for us? Oh, Oh, ah, Luke, I... Luke literally needs a few, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> need a Halloween He's trivia. Out. Oh man. He's making a Halloween um, quiz. um okay uh here's a good one uh it's a literal halloween trivia because it's trivia about the halloween franchise what is the mark on michael myers's hand called there's a mark on his hand revealed in the later series uh and what is it called i'm not deep enough into the halloween franchise for that (laughs) you want to take a stab the mark of the ogre well, you're not far off because they're 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 actually a druid rune. It's a druid rune of the okay. thorn. I was just thinking because Mike Myers was Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it's synchronicities, man. They work out in the end. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, Luke, our jam. Yeah, if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find it on Twitter at MLSFS Pod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just search Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. But you're already listening to it, so just continue listening to it. Make sure you give us a five-star rating and review. Tell all your friends, blah, blah, blah. And uh, if you want to help us keep it online, because, you know, you have to pay to host it, master pay for Zoom and stuff like that, you go to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. And I'll, I'll leave out uh, going out with the, the one line that I was not in this movie. I kept waiting for, for it, and I just never got the, how sweet fresh meat. <laughs> <laughs> that a sequel thing? Or? It's a sequel thing. Yeah, yeah it's a sequel. I guess we'll hit the record then. <laughs> All right. I'm going to bed. <laughs>